The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke in the 13th chapter. Some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it, how often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. All right, so last week we talked a little bit about the incarnation, about the birth of Jesus, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But I have a question for us before we begin, and that question is this. How do you know that someone loves you? Tully? They show it. Hmm? What's a way that they show that? Um, like hugs. Okay, good. Who else? Me. What do you think, buddy? Like those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? Daddy loves me by giving gifts. That's right. That's another way too. Um, show Say it again. Uh, yeah. Letters. Uh-huh. Now, this is a question that sort of is like the first question. How do you show other people that you love them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who else? How do you show people that you love them? Um, compliments. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the things that we talked about today are, are 
ways that we show our love. Uh huh. What do you think? That's right, giving gifts, physical touch, saying good things about other people. Mo? Telling them that you care about them. That's right. Yeah, using our words. Those are all excellent ways of showing people that we love them. Now, here's something that's important for us to remember, okay? So I want us all to listen very carefully. When people around us talk about love, what they are usually talking about is the way that they feel about somebody. But as Christians, when we talk about love, we're not talking about a feeling. Love is a choice that we make. Love is something that we do. Okay? You guys hear me? Right? Love isn't a feeling. Love is something that we do. Because that's who God is. And that's how God loves us. At the very, very beginning of the story, what happens? At the very beginning of the Bible, what's the first thing that happens? Tully? Uh, God makes the world. God makes the world. That's right. Because God loves us, he makes the world, and he gives the world to us. But then something goes wrong. Mo, do you remember what goes wrong? Hmm? Who remembers? What goes wrong? Uh huh. That, that the first people accidentally ate the fruit God then told them to eat. That's exactly right. Yeah. That God gave us rules, and instead of saying we love you back to God, we said no. <laughs> God gave us the whole of creation as a way of saying I love you, and instead of saying I love you, we said No. And when that happened, there was a sickness that started to grow inside of us. The sickness started to grow deep, deep in our hearts. But because God is love, God always chooses to take care of us. God always chooses to provide for us. That's what it means when we say that God is love, that he is always giving his life to us all the time. That's what God does. So when we said no to God, we said no to God's love, and that sickness started to grow inside of us. Now, in the church, we call that sickness sin. It's something inside of us that makes us choose not to love God and not to love each other and not to love the things that God has given over to us. What are some examples of that? What are some ways that we have sin in our lives? You don't have to name your own sins. This is not time for that. Just let's let's just talk about them in general, huh? Michaela? Lying, that's right. Not telling the truth. Making people mad. Making people mad, that's good. What else? Disobeying your parents. What else? Being mean, Mo? Hurting each other? That's right. 
There was a man whose name was Evagrius, and he lived a very, very long time ago, almost 1,700 years ago, 1,700 years ago. And he wrote a book where he explained to people who were trying to live together in a community the way that this sickness of sin affects us, and it makes it hard for us to live together, whether in our families or together as a church or together as a town, the, the way that sin affects us. And he said it's about bad thoughts that enter into our head. So this is what he says, all right? He said, these are the kinds of bad thoughts that enter our head. Sometimes it's about us taking too much, or it's about using other people, or it's about being greedy. But there's another way that that sickness looks in us. Sometimes it means believing that we aren't lovable. Sometimes it looks like hurting other people. Sometimes it looks like not caring what happens to the people who are around us. But even more, sometimes it looks like trying to get other people to approve of us. Or sometimes it's thinking that we are better than the people who are around us. All of those are ways that that sickness in our hearts happens in our lives. And we are sick. Every single one of us is sick. That's what sin does. And the story of the Bible is as though the whole world was sick and God, like our doctor, sits down beside our bed and he gives us prescriptions. Right? Just like if you were sick and you were, you were laying in bed. And somebody came and they gave you Tylenol, or maybe they gave you some cough syrup, or maybe they bandaged your leg. There's this sickness in us, and we kept trying to treat it over and over again until, finally, the only thing that could make us well again is to have the very most delicate kind of surgery. And God chooses to do that. God chooses to heal us by becoming one of us in order to set us free, in order to make us whole, in order to make us well again. So Jesus came to heal us because God is love, because God loves us with a love that never stops, that never gives up, that is always and forever. God in Christ comes to heal us. And that's why when we say the creed every single week, we say that for us and for our salvation, for us and so that we could be saved, so that we could be healed, Jesus came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he was made man. That's our memory verse, right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. All right, if you grab the coloring page this morning, there's another version, there's another copy of the uh, memory verse on that page. You can color that in and take it home and practice that this week, okay? All right, let's finish up with our prayer. Ready? All right, everybody looking up? Everybody paying attention? Okay. Holy God, holy and mighty, Holy, immortal one, have mercy upon us. Amen. Amen.
When I was in grade school, I went on a camping trip with my dad and my dad's dad, and we drove up into the White Mountains in Arizona, uh, and we had a, a camper trailer that we took up with us, and you know, like a little pop-up camper, and we had our dog with us. And one, one afternoon while we were you know, sitting around in, in the, the campsite, we heard the dog, you know, she would just run around in the woods. That was, it was, it, it was her happy place. And, uh, and we heard her barking, and that almost never happens, but she was barking in like an upset kind of way. And so we walked down the hill. Uh, my dad walked down the hill, and then, and then he yelled back up to my granddad and I, who were sitting, uh, s- sitting up at the top of the hill, and said, you know, you guys get down here and look at this. And we came down the hill, and there's this little gray, brown, fuzzy animal that is sort of backed itself up against a tree. And... And my dog is just, you know, hunched over and she's just, you know, losing her mind. And my dad has got a hold of her collar and he's hanging on to her and, and hands her off. And we look over and it's a kind of animal we've never seen before. Like it looks like, like a guinea pig, but all brown and about that big. And we look closer and closer and it's got this big long tail. And we realized that what she had found was a baby porcupine. She did not get into the porcupine. It, it backed itself up against a tree, and she, would, she was barking at it. She was really upset, but she left it alone long enough. But we, it, I, we you know, it's one of those things that you almost never see that animals in the wild, especially animals like that. They're, they typically are nocturnal. They, they live sometimes up in trees, sometimes in, in holes in the ground. It's one of those things that for most of us, we're only ever going to see a porcupine in the zoo or on a nature special, right? And it's a completely different thing to be, to, to be near an animal that you've only ever sort of seen in theory. You know, you don't really see them all around. You know, we, we put a stick down next to it and porcupines, I don't know if you've ever seen the way that a porcupine defends itself. In movies, right, it's always like somebody brushes up against it and they have, they have stickers in them. But the porcupine, most of the stickers are in the tail, and that tail is like a beaver's tail. It's like solid muscle. And so when, when something gets near to it, it will pivot on one foot and raise that tail up in the air and smack it down. And it stuck, you know, giant needles into this, in, into this, little, this little branch, just so deep that you couldn't, like, pull them out without pliers. It was <coughs> wild, wild things. We used to spend a lot of time walking around in the woods, and... One time we were on a hike and we saw this, uh, this, this big, a really big jet black wasp and it was flying around. But, you know, normally when you see a wasp, they're sort of darting back and forth in branches. But this one was, was right about, you know, maybe waist level, chest level. And it kept darting up and then flopping. It, you know, it was just moving in these weird loops. And what was that? Is really strange behavior for a wasp. And so, you know you want to go see what's going on. And we walked over there and this was not a, normally the wasps that we encounter are like paper wasps, right? Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe yellow jackets or, or mud daubers, something like that. They, you know, they build their little nest up in the eaves. This wasn't a wasp like that. This is a really, really big jet black wasp called a tarantula hawk. Uh, and it had found a tarantula. And what we were watching was this tarantula hawk hunting this tarantula 
There was a tarantula on the ground and this wasp would land on the ground and try to get close. And when the spider would get close, it would zip up into the air and it would float around and it would land back down. And we stood there for probably 15 or 20 minutes watching this. Now, the fight between a tarantula hawk and a tarantula can last for, for several hours. So we did not stay for the entire time. We you know, sort of found a pathway around that because you, know, you, you don't necessarily want to get into that fight. But Tarantula hawk stings are, are, are horrible, just horrible, horrible things. But there's something that is just primal about encountering... Na- That's one of those things that, like, if you don't see that on a TV special, you're almost never going to walk into that, like a baby porcupine walking by itself in the woods, like a tarantula. But this tarantula and the tarantula hawk watching these, these predators doing what they do was just... It was one of those things that as you, as you looked at it, it just sort of drew you into the narrative, right? There's, you can almost feel like this, this story that's sort of unfolding. As you, it makes you like lean a little bit closer and you just stand there staring and watching at what you're seeing happening in front of you. This conflict between predators and between prey. And the gospel lesson this morning reminded me of that because you have these predators in the story who are trying to do everything that they can to take advantage of the people who are around them. Now, obviously, the, the, the Pharisees in, in the story today are predators of, of a certain kind. Luke is very clear about, uh, about what the, the hearts of the, the religious rulers in Jerusalem looked like. But here also we have Herod. Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas is not the same kind of predator that his father was. His father just killed everybody. That was just his M.O. If, if there was any kind of resistance, he just killed them all. Um, Herod, is, Herod Antipas, his son, is, is his youngest son. Uh, is, he's a different kind of predator. He uh, is, is one, of those, one of those kind of people who just understands the the system and he understands the motivations that are around him and he just manipulates everyone around him constantly constantly he plays rome off of other romes he 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 is he is deeply involved in the conflict between caesar julius caesar and with mark antony and with Caesar Augustus. He's, he's mixed in with all of those politics uh, because all of those politics affect Syria and they, they affect Palestine, they affect Egypt. He's involved in all of those sort of, you know, skullduggery that happens at, at the highest level. He grew up in Rome. He was educated in Rome. He understood that system. And he goes back to, to Galilee after his father's death. And he's given like the, the, the smallest, most insignificant portion of Herod the Great's uh, kingdom. His, his brother is given a, a giant area. His, his middle brother is given a giant area. And he gets Galilee and this little bit in, in sort of the Syrian wilderness. And that's all that he has to his name. But even then, the scheming never stops. He keeps playing his brothers off of each other. He steals one of his brother's wives. He gets back into, in, into his area. And there's just this constant predatory action on his part. That's all that he does is he, he finds out who the power brokers are and then he manipulates them and he works them. He plays them off of each other. 
Luke indicates that that's, that, that that's what he uses uh, Jesus for, is, is in order to establish some sort of a, a quid pro quo relationship between him and Pontius Pilate, who has been hostile to the, the people who live in, in Galilee and in the Decapolis. Herod Antipas is a scheming kind of a predator. And so when the Pharisees want to get rid of Jesus, they come to him and they say, Jesus, you've got to run. Herod wants to kill you. Now that may very well be true. He's just killed John the Baptist. He, he doesn't like Jesus. He doesn't like what Jesus is doing. And he's very friendly with the power structure in Jerusalem. So it may be that they were coming to tell a real story. But Jesus, as he is healing and as he is driving out demons, is confronted by these Pharisees who come to him and say, you know, Herod's going to kill you. You'd better get out of here. You'd better, what you should probably do is not go to Jerusalem. You should probably head back to Galilee. Go back to Caesarea and, and go do things over there far, far away from us and, and go and do that. But Jesus isn't having any of it, is he? Pharisees try to use the fear of Herod as a way of manipulating Jesus. But what does Jesus say to him? This is, I'm going to be here for a couple more days, and then I'll be on my way. So you go back and you tell Herod that I'm busy at the moment, but if he wants to see me, I'll be in Jerusalem in a few days and we can have a conversation then which is true. Luke reports to us that Jesus does, in fact, in just a few days, go to Jerusalem. He does, in fact, have a conversation of sorts with Herod while he's there. Not the kind of conversation that Herod imagined that they would have. But it's easy for us to read this passage and hear this as Jesus sort of dismissing the Pharisees and sending them away. These Pharisees who have come to him to try to get him to leave them alone, to try to get him to stay away from Jerusalem. And it's easy for us to hear that and to say, oh, well, you know, that Jesus is just being dismissive. He's, you know, he, he uses an insult. He calls Herod a fox. And he says, you go tell that old fox that I'm busy at the moment and that I'll be with him shortly. He, he gives him the sort of spiritual hold, please. But if we pay a little bit closer attention, I want us to hear what Jesus is saying here. He says, tell him, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish this course. Nevertheless, I'm going to go my way today and tomorrow and the following. Because it cannot be that a prophet will perish away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How I long to gather you as children, the way a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you're not willing. So behold, your house is forsaken. And you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus gives this lament for the Pharisees who are coming to manipulate him. Do you hear that? 
Jesus sees the Pharisees coming to him and he laments over them, over the power brokers, over Herod. Jesus' lament is not just over the people in the town where he is, is healing and curing people. It's not just over the people in Jericho and Bethany that he's going to visit over the next couple of days. His lament here is over Jerusalem, represented right now by these Pharisees that have come to try to scare him off. Jesus laments that the Pharisees, that the, the, the people in Jerusalem, that the people in the world will not turn away from their idols. And he says, I wish that I could gather you up under my wings, that I could, I could cover you up in my wings. And for me, when I hear that language, I think, you know, like a mom gathering up all the kids and just sort of holding them. You know the way that moms do? They just sort of wrap their arms around everybody. But as I was reading about this text this week, it was pointed out that Jesus is very intentional here in calling Herod a fox and himself a hen. Do you notice that? He calls Herod the fox and he calls himself the hen. And he says, I wish that I could gather you to me because when danger comes into a chicken coop, the baby chicks will run over underneath the mother who will then wrap her wings over the top of them and she will lock her little joints. And so the mother typically when that happens dies, but she protects the babies who are under her wings. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I wish that you would come to me and let me protect you from the idols, from the dark forces of this world, from the power brokers like Caesar and Pilate and Herod. I wish that you would come to me and let me protect you, but you won't. You won't turn away from your idols. You won't turn away from power and you won't turn away from wealth and you won't turn away from control. Jesus says, I long to save you, to make you safe. Not, I long to take control away from Herod. Not, I long to throw Caesar down from his throne. Not, I'm going to destroy the economic system of the world that you live in. Not, I'm going to bring an army that's going to set the world right. But I wish that you would come to me and let me cover you over so that when the dark forces come to do what they're always going to do that their wrath would fall on me instead of on you and he doesn't say that to the crowd that's gathered there he says that to the Pharisees this victory that he offers this salvation that he offers isn't the salvation that comes from money, and it doesn't come from power or manipulation or violence. It comes by Jesus giving himself over. It's his sacrifice that sets people free. It's a new kind of salvation, not a salvation through death and violence, but a salvation in spite of death and violence. Not a salvation that comes to us in a victorious king, 
but a savior who comes to us as a new kind of king, as a new kind of human. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's what God's love looks like. It looks like a hen putting herself between her children and the fox who has entered the hen house. That's what God's love looks like. And it's important for us to hear Jesus saying that to people who were his enemies because it's important for us to hear that today as people in our Lenten journey who are coming face to face with our own brokenness and our own need to be saved. Because Jesus is here with us today. Because Jesus is inviting us again today to gather together underneath his wings. He's calling you and I to himself, to his altar, in this place, to gather underneath his wings. To walk away from the idols that control us day in and day out. To walk away from the the false gospel of the world that we live in and instead turn to Jesus. Instead, experience the love of God that is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. To leave behind the control, to leave behind the power and the manipulation and the greed, to leave behind all those bad thoughts that we were talking about with the kids a little while ago. To leave that behind and instead gather underneath the wings that God is ready to wrap around us, to cover over us. Let all of that hurt and frustration wash over and to be safe underneath the wings of God, to draw near to Jesus here this morning in his word, at his table, to be saved again together this morning by his word, by his table. That's his invitation to us today. The same as it was to the people who were gathered in that little town. The same that it was to the Pharisees and the same that it was to Herod. His invitation to us today is to place ourselves under the protection of his sacrifice. To place ourselves into the arms of our Savior. To be healed. To be saved to be rescued, to be restored, to be made new. So come to the table. Come to the table and see God face to face. Come to the table and see the love of Jesus. Come to the table. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
with our Father is restored. Hope with our Father is restored.